Father, we just thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. We come to the ministry of the word. Your word is life. Your word is light. Your word is power. Everything is held together by the power of your word, the word of your power. And we need, Lord, not less, but more of you, because you are the word, the living word. We need to keep changing. Because you are preparing us here for a place that you are preparing for us. We need to be prepared to be residents of heaven one day. And all the learning is here. So today we have come, Lord, to learn about the king and the kingdom. And I pray our hearts and our minds will be fixed on things that are above, not on things that are below. But all the things here are things that are passing away. The unseen things are permanent. Help us, Lord, help to focus during this time. Focus, Lord. For all the troubles of this life are transitory. There's a day that is coming. And we look forward to that day. Truly, Lord, we look forward to that day. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Teach us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So in line with the prayer, the key of keeping our eyes on things that are above and not on things that are below. Things, not on things that are passing away, but the things that are coming and will be permanent is faith. That's why we are called to walk by faith. In everything that we as God's children do, we'll always see the key is faith. That's why we preach the word of God, because faith comes from hearing. If it's not coming, you're not hearing. Okay. Either I am not hearing or I'm not listening to the word. It is something else. It is something promotional or it is uh, what you call it, public speaking. No, because faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Okay, faith comes from hearing the hearing, the word of God. And Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he comes to God. So it tells you, faith is coming to God. What is faith? Faith is coming to God. It's as simple as that. As he is, okay, as he is. God never changes. So whether it matter, Abel went to God or Abraham went to God or you and I go to God, it's the same God. He has never changed and he never changes. Okay, He never changes. He's always the same. Okay, So faith is going to a person, trusting in a person, believing in a person and trusting and believing in basically what he says because that's why God says your yes should be yes and your no should be no, meaning a person is only worth what he says, what his word is. And God is only worth what he says. And that's where the Bible says the word is forever settled in the heavens. It's forever settled. That's why he has magnified his word above all his name. Why did he say all his name? Because many will come in his name and say he said this. But then when you look at it, he said it, then it did not happen in my life. And then when you look into the word, it did not agree with what he said. That's why we are said not to despise prophecies, but to test every prophecy. 
Okay, everything has to be tested. Did God really say it? Does it agree with the word of God? Okay, that's the whole thing. And that's why we come. Because faith is going to a person. And you believe that person. You trust what the person has said. And when you do that, what simple basics in the beginning, and we go to the word for today. Romans 1.17. What does that word do? For in it, a righteousness, in it the righteousness of God. Okay? See, we know, we know now very well we are good students, good learners. There are two aspects of God's character. One is holiness and the other is righteousness. Righteousness is the way he does things. Okay? He does things. That's how he does. His dealings with his creation. He's righteous in everything. He's righteous in all his ways. That's why so many times we do not understand the things that are happening in our lives and we say, Lord, where are you? But we don't question his righteousness. One day when we look back like Moses, we will see he was always right. He was always right. So our lack of understanding should not cause us to question the righteousness of God. Because God is always righteous. So when you believe in God, when you believe in his gospel, when you believe what he says in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. You know what? You and I, by faith, appropriate his righteousness. That's where when we say you believe, it also means you did what he said. That is what it means. That's why James, they all agree. Paul agrees, Peter agrees, James agrees. They all agree. Faith without works is dead. Okay? And that's basically what it's saying. When I believe in what God has said and I do accordingly, I am imparted with his righteousness. Because that's how he does things. And he's called righteous. Okay? So when Abraham looked and believed God, okay, so to believe God, he had to do two things. One, he had to repent from his dead works. I'm not putting faith in what I have done, my good works. I'm putting faith in what God is going to do. And he's already shown me what he's going to do. And when he does these two things, God said, you're righteous. That's how it works. The simple thing where faith comes into righteousness. And the Bible says, from faith to faith. So every time we believe God, and do accordingly what happens righteousness is imparted okay and after a period of time when you learn to walk with god it's like a child learning to walk or a child learning to cycle will fall many times many many times okay and after that nobody has to teach him to walk his walk is steady but once in a while even the most steady man will stumble Steady man will stumble, okay? So Peter will say that if you do these things, you won't even stumble. So this child has learned to walk, or this child has learned to cycle. Now if you translate that into a walk of faith, now we are walking and living in righteousness. It's a continuum. The righteousness of God. To that is what we are called. We struggle with it, but it cannot be taken away. So that is what we are called to live by faith so that our entire life is the righteousness of God which is being, which is being shown. Okay? So, if you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Old Testament of course was about a promised land. Okay? We are being promised a land there. Promise, pakka, everybody will get their house. 
Okay. Don't worry about it where you live now. Everybody will get your house there. But we are promised a life now. That is the life of Jesus Christ. Okay. And in that life, what is the purpose of that life? The purpose of the life is that we reflect the nature of God. In Numbers 20, you know, there was an incident that took place. Moses and uh, the children of Israel, again, they complained about water. And this time God said, you and Aaron go stand before the rock and speak to the rock and the water will come. But what did he do? He lost his temper. He got he got angry and he struck the rock twice. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. What is God saying that? He says, you know what? I know these people are rebellious. I know all that. These are bache. But the problem is you did not reflect who I am to them. You messed my image up. Before these children. You are angry. But I am not angry. If I was angry with them. I would not be telling you. Speak to the rock. I will tell them break the rock. I am not angry with them. God is not angry. Honestly God is not angry. God is not angry. Okay. A judge who is sitting on the judge. Is very impartial. He is not angry. No, because anger would. Uh, anger would sway. His emotions to tilt the scales of justice. So God is not, when he judges, he's not angry. He's very, very absolutely in control of his senses. Okay? Because if he's angry and he judges, then it would be sin. No? You can be angry with an issue, but when you're looking at the person, you should not ever tilt the scales of justice because you're so mad with the person, I'm going to throw the book at you and I'm going to sentence you beyond maximum. And the next higher court strikes it down. That's it, what happens. You know? But God is not. He says, you know what? So what is the point of this? The point of this, we are all called to represent who God is, the people of God, those who walk by faith are representing Christ the image of God to man. It's only possible by faith and faith working in love. That is the whole purpose. Okay, There's an unbelieving world. They do not know who God is. The devil has deceived mankind. There are a thousand pictures of God out there and all are contradictory. None of them are true. Okay, None of them are true. And law is given to Moses. Moses is the only one they know who represents God to them. And he says, you and Aaron, you two other guy, he is your sp- you speak, you are like God to Aaron. Aaron speaks to the people. These people don't know anything about me. You two are supposed to represent God to me. And what did you do? You messed up my image. Messed up my image. Uh, That's not who I am. He's telling Moses and Aaron, that's not who I am. And because that is not who I am, you messed it. You know what? You cannot lead them into the promised land. You cannot lead them into the promised land. So get. Okay. So at Kadesh, that place, he lost it. Okay. He messed up. So like I said, what does faith do? Faith is basically reflecting the life of God. And the ultimate purpose of faith is that promised life. I have come to give you life and life in abundance. That's why all these instructions we've been learning previous weeks from Paul to Titus, Paul writing to Timothy, Titus, all these letters and all categories of people in the church need to be instructed. There isn't much told about 
This is what you need to uh, teach the children. Because that is left to the parents. You see, there was never a concept about Sunday school in the kingdom of God. It's not bad. It's good. Because they come to church, it is good. Let them have Sunday school where they learn about Christ in terms which they understand. But there was never anything called Sunday school. Because the parents were called to model the life of God and the children learned from example. That was the whole purpose. But if you look, every man, everybody was to be taught. Taught what? What are we learning? Like I said, this church is a classroom. What are we being instructed? One textbook. What does a textbook reveal? The knowledge of God. Who is God? Okay. If we do not know who is God, how do we imitate Him? That is the entire teaching of the church. Once you are saved, the entire teaching is about who is God, how does God do things, how does God think, how does God talk, how does God behave. Why? Because one day for eternity you are going to live with him. So making us comfortable for that life, to fit into that life. Okay, so suddenly when we are born again and the teaching starts and people come from the world into the church, they will see it's a strange place because the teaching is contrary to what is happening. There will be a lot of areas that agree because everybody likes righteousness and integrity and all as long as it benefits them. Okay, so it's not that people are against these things because that's why he, God is so against hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy is that I like it when it benefits me, but I break it when it does not. Okay, That is hypocrisy. And God is not a hypocrite. And he does not want us to be hypocrites. He says, I understand. You came from the world. You are double-minded. And I am changing you. That is why as we learn and keep on studying, we'll have to keep on repenting and keep on changing towards what God is. So we saw old men have to be taught, old women have to be taught, young men have to be taught, young women have to be taught. And the thing is that we can sit comfortably in the church only when we do not know the word of God. (laughs) Honestly, you start studying the word of God. Today we will only look at one teeny weeny character of, characteristic of the character of God. And we will realize how little we know. Honestly, every time, I mean, sometimes I just don't want to read the Bible. <laughs> Honest, okay? Okay, yes, okay? Others, I don't want to read the Bible because, okay, Lord, how much do I have to change? Okay? It's like children, no? How much homework do I have to do? Till you finish? Okay? Till you finish. <laughs> so if you look at it, why? If you look at uh, Titus 2 and verse 5. Titus 2 and verse 5. Okay? Yeah. You can put 4 and 5. This is talking to the older women. Okay? They, and the older women should do in verse 3. And this is what likewise they should be. It's, it's, it's a continuum actually. Older women likewise. Older men should be like that. Older women also should be likewise. That they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Okay? Why is all this said? Because that is what Jesus is. He's very reverent in his behavior. He never slanders anybody. The devil does. Christ doesn't. Christ doesn't. He never will slander anybody. Let me tell you something. Okay, let me tell you. Many of you are afraid of things that you have done in the past. People are afraid. Let me tell you. God will never shame you. Do you know why he sent those 12 disciples away when he was going to speak to the Samaritan woman? Because he knew her past and he would never shame her. 
which was not written by revelation by John, nobody would know she had five husbands and was living with the sixth one. God will never shame you. He will never slander about you to anybody. That's who God is. And we need to change. We need to change. God will never shame you. People are very afraid. Very afraid. Because we have to be become like him. Ultimately become him like him. That somebody can come with their sins to us and we will not shame them. We will not shame them. Shame them. We will not shame them. Let's say, I see. I understand. Understand. Okay. Okay. Now change. Now change. Okay. Not given to too much wine. Jesus drank wine or some, it shows he drank. But you never see him drunk. You never see him drunk. And he's a teacher of good things. Not bad things. Teacher of good things. They admonish young women to love their husbands. To love their children. Okay? To be discreet. To be chaste. To be homemakers. To be good. To be obedient to their own husbands. What what is all this for? So that the word of God may be blasphemed, not may be blasphemed, because the word of God is revealing who God is. And people act and look contrary to the word of God. Nobody will believe the word of God is true. You're talking saying your God is like this. But you are living like this. So he says you need to change. And we need to learn what to become. So that when we become like that, people will say, Your God is God. We understand your God is different. Your God is different. Okay, That is the reason. The reason is salvation is a change of an entire person. It is not getting things from God. It is a complete, complete, total transformation into something else completely. An unredeemed man has been redeemed to become like God. Okay. What the devil told was half a lie. The other side, it is true. The purpose of redemption is that we become like God in character. We become like God. Okay, and if you look to the slaves also, it is written in verse 9 and 10. Right? Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. To be well pleasing in all things. Not answering back. Not pilfering. But showing all fidelity. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. He says there are slaves. He says, if they be, this is how Christ should behave. Okay. When Christ came, he came as a bond servant of his father. Okay. And when people looked at him, they understood, okay, God is like this. God is like this. He's saying to everybody, any category of the society, the oldest men to the youngest man, the employers to the slaves, the honors to the slaves. Slaves are the lowest category people. But everybody who gets saved and comes into the church, he says, stay as you are. If you are a slave, you don't have to try to be free unless you have the money to buy your freedom. But that does not mean because you are a slave, I don't have to be like Christ. It does not matter whether you are a slave owner or a slave. Everybody has to become like Christ. That is the purpose of Salvation. That's the purpose of salvation. Like I said, don't forget the purpose. Otherwise, we will just come and take notes and go away. Okay? We are like children forced to go to school. <laughs> no children, child except one in a million, 
properly passed Vijay when you were in school and college. Okay. Nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to go to school. Many of us boys wanted to go to school. The most exciting hour was the time with the lunch break. Because that's when we got to, what got to play. We went to school to play, not to study. In the process we studied. But our intention, our intention was to play. Okay. So, we need to learn. Okay. If you turn back again to Second Peter chapter one, verses one onward, Simon Peter, a bond servant, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained, you all those who have obtained faith, precious faith, obtained like precious, the same faith which Jesus had, the apostles. We all have faith is the same. Like I told you, faith is given from the same daba. <laughs> so faith cannot be, faith is the faith of God. God doesn't have different kinds of faith, okay? Like it's no generic faith over there. It is from the same company, from heaven. Everybody obtained the same faith. And what is the, what is the purpose? That grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge. You, you need to realize the, the, why faith is so important, why the hearing of the word is so important. It generates faith. By faith I access grace. By faith I access righteousness. By faith I access the peace of God. By faith everything is accessed of God only by faith. If you don't have faith, you access nothing of God and nothing of the kingdom. So when you have that faith, grace can be multiplied. Peace can be multiplied. In the knowledge of God, the knowledge is important. Okay, Remember last time we connected it all. And of Jesus Christ our Lord. And all for that, what? As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through again the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, what is the purpose? You may be partake of his divine nature. That is the purpose. That is the purpose. The entire purpose is that we partake of his divine nature. We become like him. That's the whole purpose. And for that promises are given. The entire word of God is full of promises. By faith God leads us to promises. Through that promises when we stand, the grace of God comes. We have peace in our heart. We have the power of God to stand today. And by faith, you know what? We are transformed a little more like Jesus. That's the whole purpose. Don't forget purpose. Don't end up in heaven looking the least like Jesus. (laughs) Don't end up. That's what the Bible says. The hope of glory is the Christ in me. That is the hope of my glory. Lot of people don't want Jesus to come because deep look inside, they see the devil. They don't see Christ inside. <laughs> okay. And we are not supposed to look like that. Okay. So again, it is so, it is, it is the purpose of faith. It is not enough. We just have faith. We have to keep on adding to faith. So, Words five one words will say this is what we know it. So what with diligence. Also for this very reason, what is the very reason that we partake of the divine nature of God and escape the corruption that is in the world? We don't become like a carnal worldly man. We become a more godly man or woman in the image of Christ. We have to keep on adding what add to your faith virtue, add to your faith knowledge, add to through faith. To knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, we have to keep on adding. And it is not, okay, godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. It's, it's, again, it is not enough. Okay? The, 
The Bible says, uh, if you look at verse 8 and 9, it will say that it is not enough to add to that. Okay. For he ate and nine, yeah. If these things are yours and above, meaning it is not adding one time. You have to keep on adding this. Virtue is not one time. Virtue is not one time. Godliness is not one time. Self-control is not, you may have self-control in one thing. You may have no self-control in another thing at all and God reveals it. You'll say, oh, I am self-control. I can handle it. But when you come to another area of your life, God exposes you. You know, you think you have self-control. You have self-control in that area only because you don't like it. You don't like it. But I will show you another area. He says you do not. Self-control should be able to, that's what the Bible says, temperate in all things. All things. Okay? So we have to keep abounding in this. And if we keep abounding in this, God says, you know what? You will receive a rich welcome. Very rich welcome. Who gets a rich welcome in heaven? Those who are most Christ-like. Understand that. You see, the minute you die and you are transformed, you enter into the presence of God. All of heaven will see how much Christ-like you are. How much Christ-like you are. So, the Bible says, Stephen saw Jesus standing up. Right? I see the Son of Man standing to receive because he's become so Christ-like in his death. We only see one little picture, but he's dying like Christ, forgiving his enemies. So if Jesus stood up, that means everybody else stood up. You you have to be in the audience of a king. You know, you none of you have been. I have been, so you know when the king stands up, everybody stands up. You don't sit. Though he will say sit down, sit down, but that's not the way. Everybody, even if he says sit down, you don't sit down. <laughs> okay? You don't sit down. He's being polite, but he also is not polite. He's also checking you out. Don't be a fool and sit down. <laughs> okay? Don't be a fool and sit down. You remain standing. You remain standing. So, meaning, when Stephen is entering into heaven, you keep, all of heaven is standing up because you know what? This man has become so Christ-like. So Christ-like. So the Bible is saying, if you keep adding and keep abounding in these things, why all these things are important? Because then only you will understand, we will understand the things we go through in life. The reason we go through things, all kind of situation in our life is try, God is trying to make us like himself. And the old man does not change easily. So he needs a quite a few whackings. Otherwise he will not change. And life is full of trouble, especially for the believer, so that we will learn to change. Okay? So if you look at it, most people try to stop after salvation and they tune off. For many people, the only thing matters is when I die, I won't go to heaven. That's all. I don't want to go to hell. But you know what? They actually live life with never being sure. And many of them fall away. When things like a pandemic takes place, they panic. They panic because they are not sure of their salvation. While the Bible says if you had kept on adding things, you would have made your election and calling sure. Absolutely sure. Absolutely no fear of death. Absolutely no fear of death. You look at the pandemic, you look at the famine, you look at war, you look at all calamities with a completely different eye. Why? You are absolutely sure of where you are going. How are you sure? Because you kept on adding things to faith. By faith, you kept on adding 
different things to faith. And you will see Paul, Peter, James, they all say the same thing. Okay, Everybody says the same thing. So they are not denying, uh, they are not talking about uh, salvation based on works, but they are talking about the works of faith. And that work is not there, your faith is dead. Okay, So in its simplest definition, faith is what makes us like Christ. Okay, like Christ. If faith does not make us like Christ, then it is not genuine faith. It is not genuine faith. The purpose of faith, purpose we are called to live by faith. Three times God says, yeah, we know Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11 and Hebrews 10.38. No, three times God says, my righteous shall live by faith. Righteous shall live by Why does he want us to live by faith? So that we would represent him on earth. His image. Okay, in John chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, this is what the Bible says. For John 1, yeah, 1, 17 and 18. Law came through, was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The problem was, law was given through Moses. But even the man, godly man, humble man, to whom God spoke face to face, who sat in God's presence many times, received the entire law, broke the image of God. Even he could not reflect properly who God is. So Jesus came, full of truth. Full of grace and full of truth. Who is Jesus? He's the very image of God. What does the Bible says? No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So when you read scripture, believe this. You read the book of Revelation, you recall this thing. Nobody has seen God. Nobody has seen God. If any man has seen God, it was Christ they saw. Nobody has seen God. So when you hear people on YouTube saying, I saw God and God spoke to me, he came to me and Jesus was sitting with him, don't believe them. Nobody has seen God. There's a time when everybody will see God. The time hasn't come yet. Time hasn't come yet. Nobody has seen God. The only one who has seen God, actually known God, is Jesus. Because Jesus came from the very bosom of the Father. And why did he come? One of the purpose he came is to declare. You see, we have a thousand preachers, Jesus is saying, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Levites, the scribes, the lawyers, everybody is there. They are misrepresenting me. This is not who I am. I have come to show you the Father. Come to show you the Father. To reveal. He has declared what? Him. How did he declare him? With his very life. So Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. He says, if you have seen me, have the Father. I mean, you want a picture? Look, we are not into selfie business, Philip. But character business, I am exactly like my Father. Like Father, like Son. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, You've seen me, that is the purpose he came. And at the end, at the end when everything is over, what is God doing? He's restoring. What he did in the beginning, like I was, I think, teaching the Nepali church, I said, if you have take the entire Bible, there are 66 books over there, right? Genesis, two chapters, good. Revelation, last two chapters, good. In between, only trouble. <laughs> take two chapters off, two chapters, take Genesis 1 and 2 off, and Revelation 21, 22 off, you have only misery. Okay, so God is, the rest is all the work of redemption. The rest is all work of redemption. But if you go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, 
this, the truth about it. I didn't give it to you. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed it. Okay. One twenty six. Maybe I missed. Okay. Let us make man in our image and according to our. That is what redemption is. What is salvation? God is recreating man in his image and in his likeness. And at the end, when everything is over in Genesis, sorry, Revelation 21, you will have the new creation, one set of people who look like their father, and another set of people in the lake of fire who look like their father. Okay. Everybody in heaven, the angels will look at all God's children and say, it's like father, like son, like daughter. Everyone in hell will say, like father, like son. <laughs> I didn't say that. Jesus said, he said, you are of your father. The devil. He said, okay. So we need to realize what is God doing. Okay. So, so when you look at faith, don't go by this, uh, Name and grab, no? Uh, name it, claim it, shame it, no? This preachers, no? Don't go by that. You know, if you look at it, we have Dr. Richard sitting over here, okay? Now, if you ask him what he is, he's a doctor. But if you put another doctor over here, let us say Dr. David is sitting over here, Dr. Beulah is sitting over there, they're all doctors. Are they the same? No, he's emergency medicine. Meaning if you have an accident, he meets you first. <laughs> Okay, but he is not very sure about the damage. He will send you to Doctor David. Why? Because he's a radiologist. Okay, but on the other hand, if you are carrying, he'd say go to Doctor Beulah because she's a gynec. So if you see, uh, God made a man, one whole person, the medicine divided into different parts and gave it to different people. <laughs> but there is something else which is called holistic medicine. And people are into that, which is true. Meaning it says, you have to look at your entire body as one being, one whole thing. Okay, And if you deal with your entire body as a whole being, and eat what you should eat, and drink what you should, and live life that way, you will not fall ill. You can avoid so many issues in life. The problem is that we divide our body also into parts. So when you eat, you only think about the tongue and the stomach. You don't look at how it affects the lungs and the liver and the heart and the brain. You don't. Then when you have something, you go to the specialist. (laughs) The specialist is not... You see, one of the things I always tell patients, one of the things I always tell people is that, you know, you came out of the hospital, yes, okay, everything is okay, medicine, everything okay. I said, did you listen to the dietitian? We ignore the dietitian, but you don't realize the dietitian is as important because the dietitian is saying what to eat and what not to eat. This is what you should do, this is what you not should do, so that you know what, you don't have to come back here. You don't have to come back here. You know, so we have to, we, we, we also shouldn't divide our body into parts. No, into our parts. Okay, we are more like an automobile mechanic. One part change, put another part over there. God, God, God says, no, you are a whole being. Whole being. You know? Whole. Okay, whole being, okay, because you know what? Many of the things which we, which we eat affects our mind, affects our mind, you know? There are foods which we should eat and foods which we shouldn't eat. 
certain foods we shouldn't eat. Everybody talks about, wow, take the list of the Nobel laureates in the world. Most of them are? Not vegetarian, they're Jews. They are Jews. They are not vegetarian, they are Jews. Vegetarian sweet meat. Why are they Jews? Why are they? Why are the smartest people? Even if they are not Nobel laureates, the smartest people in the world, whether it is in banking or any sector, most of them are Jews. You know why? Because they were given by God what to eat and what not to eat, how to live. You read the first five books of Bible, the instructions given to Israel touch every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. There's nothing that is untouched. And those who followed it became very successful. Why? Because God did not divide us into parts. He said you are one being. One being. One holistic being. So, when you and I study the word of God and we talk about faith, faith should touch every aspect of our being. Otherwise, you are missing on it. Good. That's what I have issue. I'm not saying everything they say is per se wrong. But I have an issue with the teaching. It's about just grabbing things from God and leaving God after that. It is not that faith is not that faith touches our entire, it should touch our entire so that our being so that it works in unity. Works in unity, right? How when all the parts of a car work well, work well, no? How smooth to drive. But if there is something, even if it gets gnashing, no? You feel like hell, the believers. Why? Because they know there is gnashing of teeth there. And you have that sound in your car. Okay, this is what it is going to sound like. You don't want that. Okay? You don't want that. In the same way, imagine your whole body is... Okay, now Pranit is sitting inside. Why is he sitting inside? Because he is going through physiotherapy. So his trainer made him go through, put through a whole series of exercising. So his body is reacting. Body is reacting. Okay? So you need to realize God wants us to the whole thing. And first time we receive something from God and receive it by faith, our body will react. Our mind will react. Because the mind doesn't like these things. The carnal mind Except that, all of us, doesn't matter how sanctified we are, still have a part of our mind which is still carnal. And that carnal part of our mind is in an enmity with God. Our body anyway is in enmity with God. Okay? The spirit contends with the flesh and the flesh contends with the spirit. The carnal mind contends with the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ contends with our carnal mind. So there is resistance. And you cannot give in to that. You have to keep on fighting. Because we have to look at ourselves as a whole. You know what? Because sometimes what happens is, a church, we make the mistake of dealing with ourselves like a mechanic deals with a car. No, no problem, sir. Just park up change karne se ho jayega. But he doesn't look at the whole vehicle. No? You only go to him and say, the vehicle is not starting. He just looks at, okay, this is what starts, it's fine. But God doesn't deal with that. He will do an x-ray scanning of us from head to toe. And he will tell you, you know what? You need to grow. 
And that's what Peter is saying, you know. Faith is there, you got saved. Now keep on adding, keep on adding, keep on adding, keep on adding. What happens? Your hope level rises, rises, rises. Even as the day of the Lord comes closer and closer, we see the signs. As the day of the Lord comes closer and closer, what do we become? More excited and more excited. If Christ is growing in us, we get more and more excited. Okay? So we are being... Change from inside out. The likeness of God. What does the law do? It just touches the outside. It doesn't touch usually the inside. That is why the Bible does not talk about the law in Hebrews 11. It only talks about faith, by faith, by faith. Most of the people, or almost all the people mentioned in Hebrews 11 are people under the law. Everyone is under the law. But not a single person is mentioned as being righteous by law or did anything by the law and God said very good. He says it's by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Why? Why? Because faith is our victory. We saw that in 1 John 5. For faith itself is victory. This is the faith who is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Meaning, the victory that overcomes the world should be holistic. Like, like, let us say, the world. What part of your life doesn't the world touch you? The pandemic suddenly realized how much God can intrude into your life. You know, there were countries where you had to wear the mask inside your house and they came and checked. How intrusive the government represents the world to us, the governments of this world. And you will realize, especially if you're living in the city, that's why they want to hurt us in cities. Because in the city, everything touches. Everything in our life. There's nothing untouched. Your water, your electricity, your house, the colony you live in. Everything is touched. You can't grow anything. You have to buy it. And everything is licensed and controlled by the system. So your world touches everything. And God says, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of acting. I'm not saying all the ways of the world are wrong. Because then nobody will accept it. But that's not the point. We have to overcome that kind of thinking. Overcome that kind of thinking. And how do you overcome? It's by faith. Faith is a completely different lifestyle. Where it accepts whatever agrees with God. And refuses whatever agrees with God. And you are willing to pay a price for it. If you are not asked to deny Christ, you will go with it. But if you are asked to deny the life of Christ, you say, I will die. I will die. I will die. So, faith will touch everything. Everything. And faith is life. In Galatians 2.20, this is what Paul comes and says. One of Paul's most powerful statements. Right? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Listen to what he's saying. I mean, it's a loaded sentence. He doesn't say, I'm crucified for Christ. He says, no, I'm crucified with Christ. When he died, I died. I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now in the life, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a contradiction. He says, I don't live, Christ lives in me. Then he says, Christ doesn't live, I live. Meaning he says, our lives have become identical. And how does it happen? I live by faith. When the the pinnacle of faith is that, there is no difference between our life and God's life. It has become the same. 
It has become the same. Then what happens? You represent God's image to the world. That's what we are called. What is, that's what salvation is to the unsaved. Light and darkness. We represent the very life of God to people. And we have to surrender to the Holy Spirit to that saying, Lord, make me, Lord, more and more, Lord. Today is a new day. Thank you for the mercy. I want grace to live your life so that by any chance I meet people, people meet me, any interaction I have with them, they should take a thought in their mind saying that maybe this is what God looks like. This is what God looks like. It is like the little boy, hungry little in tatters in rags in a uh, bakery outside. He was looking through the glass and he was looking at the things kept over there. And a man saw him looking. He went inside and looked at what this boy was looking. He bought that one thing and brought it out and said, here son, eat it. And the boy looked at him and said, sir, are you God? A simple response, are you God? Because that's all he has heard God gives, God loves. So he thought, are you God? Are you God? It's a simple thing. Okay, But God is saying, this is who I am. And we walk every day marring that image. Marring that image. And we have to repent. That's why we will repent. Okay, So, faith will teach you and me. Faith teaches, grace teaches how to think right, how to feel right, how to act right. Okay, remember we saw, teach what is in accord to sound doctrine. This is the doctrine of God. This is the doctrine of Christ. Who is God? Who is God? How does he think? How does he talk? If he were to talk, how does he talk? How does he act? How does, if God were to come and live in a human body, how would he see? That's how Jesus loved so we go back to Titus. And we go to Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. Okay, 5 to 9. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, husband or one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation of insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who so he says, the, 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 the elder, the bishop should have a life and he should have knowledge so that they agree and he should be able to confound. Okay, So we saw in that whole thing, if you look at words um, 6 and 7 is telling what he should not be. He should not be, he should not be, he should not be this, he should not be this, he should not be this, he should not be this. But when it comes to words 8, we have to balance both. Sometimes we are so good at not being and we forget to be something else. God is not this. And God is this. So we need to have both. Lord, help me not to be this. And help me to be this. To Like Paul will tell young people, flee youthful lusts and then say, pursue these things. A lot of young people who are struggling with youthful lust, and they really struggle, they really fight, they give a really godly fight. They are not able to overcome this because they are only looking at the negative. They are not pursuing the other things. If you pursue these things, these will, things will lose. Your battle is over. You cannot do one without doing the other. So in what now eight is telling what we should be. And you will very, very rarely hear that you are called to be hospitable. The first thing mentioned to be. 
be hospitable interesting right hospitable be hospitable okay we need to understand that is from where the word hospital comes from it is not for people seeking is helping sick people it is helping strangers that's why we have the other word entire industry built on hospitality it did not begin in the in the world it began in the church okay it began in the church let me tell you a story in 1900s in the 1900s in the city called philadelphia okay 1900s an elderly couple came late in the night they came to a third rate motel no and this young clerk was sitting over there they said sir young man we need a room please don't say there is no room we went to every hotel in the city everything is full we didn't realize there were so many conventions taking place there's not a single room don't refuse us please give us a room he looked at them for some time and said sir uh, the only room is is my room but it is not like the hotel rooms but it is clean if you are okay with it it is i can give you my room because i am a night clerk i sleep during the day so they were very grateful and they both slept the night there in the morning they were having breakfast and they called the young man and said young man you are too good to be here too good to be here if you will accept our invitation we want you to be the manager of our hotel he had no idea the elderly couple were the astors and when they built astor waldorf astoria hotel in new york city they made that man the manager you know why because he was just hospitable he was just hospitable he didn't know who they were he didn't know who they were but he looked at this an elderly couple sitting here and he says you know what my room is there why don't you go sleep it can have okay and the bible talks about that in hebrews 13 verses 1 and 2 let brotherly love continue do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels okay now we are not being hospitable to entertain angels but god says be hospitable and the first thing please understand like i said you may never become a pastor or an elder in the church it's irrelevant we are talking about what is leadership qualities for eternity because there is this leadership coming in eternity first thousand years who will reign with jesus and the question is lord how are you going to choose god says one thing is are you hospitable things you will never learn in a in a secular institution You never learn these are things you will never learn anywhere you'll never learn anywhere these are things that are never taught in the world even in hospitality industry it's a completely different thing it is based on money and career that is not what god is talking about in the in the kingdom of god is a different thing altogether you know so the original mean, meaning of hospitable is to show kindness to show hospitality to some stranger somebody who does not have a place primarily and you need to realize that was how the ancient christian world was we will look into europe and you will see so many huge monasteries and abbeys and all you know what that was the only place strangers could knock and find a place to sleep and could be fed 
and they were taken care of. And the rule was this. If a stranger, let us say the abbot of an abbey, the head of an abbot, is going on a seven-day fast, and in the middle of the fast, a stranger comes, and he knocks. The door is opened, and he breaks his fast to eat with him, because he thinks to be hospitable to his guest and eat with him is more important than his fast. Okay. They understood the concept because the streets were all full of thugs and thieves and people never had a safe place. And Christians, Christianity understood the concept because this is the teaching they had in the church. Okay. Now, of course, our times have changed. We have all kinds of things. But the fundamental meaning never, ever changes. Are you, are we a hospitable person? Okay. Okay. Basically, it is to love a stranger. Love a stranger. If you know the story of the Good Samaritan. What is the story of the Good Samaritan? It's a stranger. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, we will, we will, like Moses, sit there and said, you should have never gone from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, he's already gone. He's already got beaten. What is, what is the point in giving him a lesson? Okay? Okay. The law kills. What are you going to do? So the priest went away. The Levite went away. The Samaritan went, picked him up, put him in a motel, and paid for it. And said, if it's anything else, when I come back, charge him. And why didn't the innkeeper object? You know why? Because this is not a one-time thing. He knew that man. You know, you could take him for his word. He's a kind man. He's done this before. If he says, I will come back and pay whatever owes it, he knows he will do that. So it was not a one-time thing. The good Samaritan is a hospitable man. He just took care of a stranger. He always took care of a stranger. Probably he's brought many people like that and said, take care of them. And when I come back, I will pay. The innkeeper, after two times, he realized, you know what? This man is trustworthy. He's, he's, he's just a generous man. He's a kind man. You know what? You can take him on his word. And the Bible is talking about it. Okay? In Luke chapter 14, 12 to 14, Jesus talks about a principle. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. We can have celebration. Jesus is not saying when you have a birthday, but he's talking about general principle. He says, you know what? When you want to give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the church. He said, they cannot repay you. That does not mean you will not be repaid. You will be repaid by your God. At the resurrection of the just, you will be repaid. Okay? So Jesus puts hospitality right there at the top. Why? Because that's that's the nature of God. Like I said, faith needs to have feet and hands. If it doesn't have faith, we are only above Neck above our neck, we just we are full of the knowledge about God. The knowledge has not permeated into our heart. We have not. We are not becoming like God. So when Jesus was born, in Luke chapter two, verse seven, she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him up in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because see. The clerk at that hotel was different. He was not hospitable. 
It's not hospitable. He did not make room for them. And he did not know what he missed. What he missed. What he missed. Okay. That is why you have all this increment. Children get these messages very fast. There were real, there are so many real stories of Sunday school children enacting the nativity scene. Okay. And there is one just thing about it, no? The innkeeper, the boy who was told, given all the lines and all over. And David and Mary comes over and Mary is with this big, you know, thing put on and covered, be pillow over her stomach and she's standing there pregnant. And Joseph is saying, sir, is there any room? He looks at them. He looks, his line is very clear, no room. He looks at them. He starts tears start coming. He says, there is no room, but you can take my room. <laughs> Children get it very well. We think children are not kind. We make them unkind. But children are not born unkind. They are not born. No child is born unkind. No child is born unloving. We make them that way. They imitate us and they become unkind. And they become, no, they become inhospitable. But this man has no clue. Here is a pregnant. She just, she's, she's probably her, what do you call that? Not the labor pains. What do you call that pains? Ladies, help me. The contractions has already started for Mary. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> the contractions have already started for Mary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Contractions has already started for Mary. And there is no pity. She's a stranger. No pity, no sympathy. Okay, and this is the son of God, and that innkeeper, and all the people in the inn represent humanity. He came, and there was no room. Nobody was hospitable. If you look at Jesus' life, interesting. If you look at his life chronologically, all the from the different gospels, in John chapter one, verse thirty-five to thirty-nine, okay, his just been declared who he is. Again, the next day, the previous day he got baptized, now the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, which translated, teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and remained him with that day. The first Act of Jesus mentioned post-baptism. He's a hospitable man. Think about it. Think about it. You go to a new city. And you have a room. And the first thing, two people, strangers, meet you. And they say, hello, sir, where do you stay? And you say, come. Come. The thing is, the first act of Jesus in his ministry is not the wedding at Cana. It's not the wedding at Cana. He shows he's hospitable to strangers. These two people are strangers. They don't know him. He does. He knows. Of course, as God, he knows them. But he doesn't know them. And they do not know him. And it's the first thing what he does. He's hospitable. He says, come and stay with me. And they stayed with him. And his hospitality moved them. They go out and say, you know what? This is the Savior. We have met the Messiah. That is how he begins. How does he end? Chapter 21. 21. This is how he ends. As soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. This is remember the disciples. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. What is his final act? It's an act of hospitality. He feeds people who walked away. 
He went back fishing. He begins being hospitable to disciples. He ends with being hospitable to disciples. He's teaching us something. This is the nature of God. He's always hospitable. He's always hospitable. He never says no. He never says no. Even the cry from heaven is come boldly. You will not be refused. You will never be refused. John 1, 11 says he came to his own. His own did not receive him. We were not, we were not very hospitable. His people were not very hospitable. But as many as who received him. Okay. Yet it is not that he was not received everywhere, but people do received him. And those who received him, they actually received the power to become the children of God. You cannot entertain God in your home and not receive something in return. It's impossible. Okay? And God takes hospitality very, very seriously. You have to teach little children. Okay? Joanna, Abigail, Emmy, uh, Amen, all are sitting here. All small children. Kirtika, all. They have to learn very early. You know, the first couple of birthdays of my children, I celebrated. Honestly, totally. After that, I said that, let it be very private between us. And after that, what I will do is that we will buy you wrap. We'll go and feed every beggar in this town as far as we can go till the food supplies. And they were very excited. They were very excited. One thing we can tell about our five children, all five are generous. They have no issues with giving. All five. Very generous. Okay, all five children are very generous. They will give. No issues. They never think twice about it. From the eldest to the youngest. They have no issues with that. They are very generous. You have to teach them these things. That there is always more joy in giving than in receiving. Don't pile your children with things so they will think that joy is in receiving. No, the Bible is very clear. It is more blessed to give than to receive. This is joy. And children have to be taught this thing. The church has to be taught these things. That the joy is actually in giving than in receiving. It's actually in giving. More than receiving. You you have joy. It's something which it's something which is almost divine because God is a giver. And God takes hospitality very, very seriously. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. The question is, where was he? (laughs) Every stranger you met in life. Every stranger you met in life. You don't have to go looking for them. They will come to you if your eyes are open. They will come to you. No. The thing is that we are so focused with our life and our problems, we do not have eyes to look around and see. And if our eyes were open, God would show. Why? Because one day, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we, you hungry, we see hungry, you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? What did he say? When you did to the least of this, you did unto me. So the question is that, we have to learn these things. Assuredly, I say to you, in as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. Okay. 
And I will, this is how faith flows. Faith flows. The church has, older men have to be taught that because people come into the kingdom of God not knowing many facets about who God is. Older women, younger men, younger women, children. Everybody has to be taught. This is who God is. This is who God is. And you know that in Bethany there was a family. Name is Martha, Mary and Lazarus. And Jesus loved going there. Look at the first thing that is mentioned about them. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Okay, we, we get tough with Martha, but the problem, thing about Martha is that it doesn't say Mary, it says Martha. Martha was a very hospitable lady. She saw a stranger, heard about him, Rabbi, he's a new teacher. Nobody knows he's a Messiah. Please don't misunderstand. They invited him because he was a Messiah. They don't know he's a Messiah. Israel was full of teachers. One teacher and teachers had their disciples, Rabbis and their disciples. Another Rabbi has come with his disciples. He looks hungry, please come. Please come. Remember Elisha's widow? Sheer hospitality. What did it lead to? A birth of a son, the resurrection from the dead. Why? Because she was simply hospitable. She saw somebody and said, a stranger, come. And here is Mary. And she welcomed him to, into her house. Don't take the position of Jesus and scold Martha. That was only because she was distracted. He did not. But every time you see Martha, Martha is serving. She's a very hospitable lady. And Jesus loved going to their house. In John chapter 11 and verse 5, the Bible says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. No, We want to read Da Vinci Code and that fellow's stupid books and say Jesus loved Mary. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus loved Martha and her sister. It's not even mentioned. And He loved all three. But he, Martha is put over first because Mary and Lazarus would not have known Jesus if Martha hadn't opened the home. Open the home. Okay, you see that through the Bible. Why was there a church in Philippi? Because Aquila and Priscilla compelled Paul says, "Come and stay with us and eat in our house." They were host- these are strangers. Where did these people meet them? At the riverfront. They were washing clothes. They were going to pray. They had learned from Jesus, you need a secluded place to pray. So here two people are praying, and here these ladies are washing clothes, and they said, "You know what? Why don't you come to your house? Why didn't you come?" It started a church. It started a church. And the Bible is full of incidents like this. And Jesus is very, very, he loves hospitable people. Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. You know, Jesus had to go through many, many towns. And the Bible says so many times he slept in the open. The simple question is, why did he sleep in the open? Because there was no hospitable house there. Okay, But he knew one thing. If I go to Bethany, I always have food. I always have a place. Always have a place. And what did it lead to for them? Because they were hospitable. They were witnesses of a resurrection. A resurrection. And Mary would be the one who would anoint him for his burial. And if Mary and Magdala Mary are both the same character, then the story changes completely. Are they both the same? We do not know. The speculation only. We do not know. All why? Because they were hospitable. They were not looking for a miracle. They were not looking for anything. They were just hospitable. In First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Above all things, have fervent 
love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. I mean, what a connection. If I am a preacher, I will not put this together. End of all things is your watch and pray, be sober, and just be hospitable. Have fervent love for one another and be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Why? Why is he saying that? He says, look at the pandemic. The havoc it has created in the world. You know? Because the government is controlling the press almost in every country. The press is leaned onto one side. People do not have any clue how people are suffering. People are really, 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 really suffering. People are really suffering. Suffering, really struggling to make both ends meet. So he says, this is a part of history. Famines have come, pestilences have come, wars have come. And through it all, there is so much suffering. And suffering in the body of Christ, don't close your eyes, he says. Be hospitable to one another. Because the end is, end of all things is... And what are the signs of the end of all things? These things will increase. In their time, things are really bad. Peter's time, things are really, really bad. Um, Church historian says when Peter is writing this letter, Paul is already dead. And after Paul was executed, two years later, Peter was executed. So he is one of the last apostles left. They are going through terrible times. The church is going through terrible times. And he says, you know, don't close your eyes. Be hospitable to one another. People may be fleeing from one city to another city. Because that's what Jesus had told. If you're persecuted in one city, run to the other city. So you have complete, I'm not mentioning and all, but I'm telling you, there is a campus in North India, which I know, in one of the states, which is full of people. One pastor and his team at a point was taking care of almost 500 people who had fled from other states of North India because of persecution. And he takes care of all of them. They live in the campus, they farm, they everything, and he keeps them over there. Because they cannot go back until things are okay, they cannot go back. So from that time till today, these things are real. You know, real. These things are real. And God is talking about that. But that is a large scale thing. But fundamentally at the core, we need to ask ourselves, am I a hospitable person? Or do I, I'm hospitable, but I grumble. I grumble. Go to Romans 12, verses 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, because these are all things connected through faith. Faith accesses this and changes us. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor giving praise. This is the life within the church. To one another. Verse 11. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in the spirit. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Given to hospitality. This is the story of the underground church everywhere, given to hospitality. Because people are fleeing from one city to another, fleeing for their lives, you know. And people open up their homes, they open up their lives, they open up their resources. Okay. Remember in the book of Timothy when a criteria was given about who, which kind category of widows should be taken care of the church. This is the criteria given in chapter 5 verses 9. Okay. 
Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into that number. Don't take off the resources of the church. The resources of the church is always limited. Not unless she's been the wife of one man. Well reported for good works. If she has brought up children. If she has lodged strangers. If she has washed the saints feet. If she has relieved the afflicted. If she has diligently followed every good work. He says if that lady when before she was a widow. Was never a hospitable person. Don't include her. Let her suffer. Don't include her. Don't waste your resources on people who were in the church for so many years and never changed as persons. Now they are in trouble and they have nobody to help you. Why? Because when you had and others were in trouble, you did not help them. Because it's a simple principle of nature, God's nature. Not nature, God's nature. What you sow, you reap. You were not a widow once. You had a husband. You had resources. You never took care of anybody. Strangers were there. Poor were there. Afflicted were there. The saints in the church were there. Apostles passed away. Preachers passed away. You never offered anybody anything. Now suddenly your husband has died. Husband has died. And now you have no children to take care of you. And you are crying and coming to the church. God says no. God says no. Okay. So this is the goodness and the firmness, the severity of God. But this has to be taught to the church. Remember, there is a law set by God. Don't expect a harvest where you have not sowed. Don't expect a crown in heaven when you have not walked that path on earth. Not walk that path on earth. Don't just, just don't sit there and daydream. When I go to heaven, I will have all these things. God says, will you? What did you send up to heaven? What did you send up to heaven? Can I count on your works of faith? Okay. It has gone ahead of you. Can I count on it? So don't, that that is why the Bible is very, very clear. When you live on earth, let your mind be on things that are above. Eternity is coming. A day of judgment is coming. When every work will be rewarded. God won't be stingy in his rewards at all. He's the most magnanimous, most generous judge you will ever meet. But, it will be also absolutely righteous. Okay? We know these stories, right? God sent Elijah to one widow. She was on a la- literally on her last legs. One handful of flour and little oil. That's all she had. Jesus, thousands of years later, when he comes and says, there were many widows in Israel. Many widows. None were hospitable. I sent my servant to a widow in Samaria. You know what? She was hospitable. Get me water. She went and water is very scarce. You need to look at that. He didn't ask for bread first. He asked for water. What is scarce? Water is very, very scarce. Famine is going on. There's no water. And she goes to get water. What's the first heart that is revealed? She's a hospitable lady. And he says, get me some bread. She said, I only got this much. He said, no problem. Make it, give it to me. And she does. And you know, because she was a hospitable lady, famine stopped at her doorsteps from that day. Famine wouldn't cross her door after that day. It stopped immediately. From that day till the rains come, she would not know what famine was. Not only that, she experienced a resurrection in her home. Her child dies and he's brought back to life. All why? Simple thing. She was just hospitable. She was simply hospitable, as simple as that. You know what? 
Jesus puts his disciples in a very peculiar position. In Luke chapter 22 verse 35, we see the end of it. But this is how they lived. When I sent you without money back, knapsacks, sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. This was two different tests. The test for them is, do you trust God? That he will supply all your need. But there was another test. The test to other people, to the cities they were sent. Let me see if they are hospitable or not. You need to realize, the one who is being sent is being tested. Whether you have faith, God will take care of me. The ones to whom they are being sent is being tested. Are you hospitable? Will you entertain a stranger? Entertain. You have to hear the stories of pioneers in this country. I've met many of them. They said, when we first went to places, they would not even allow us to sleep on their verandas. We slept out in the open. And then with a the little money went around and hired one, rented one small little room. Then that is where, today of course they have big churches and all, and the all the young, I tell them, what are you jumping there and claiming and naming? Do you have this life? You are sitting there and enjoying over the life of a man. Of a man. Of a man. They had no, but they were sent. They were sent and they stand by faith. They never left. But it was also a test for the people to whom they were sent. Okay, so we need to realize God is testing us every day. Every day. Because that is how his nature comes out. Okay? In Luke chapter 7, 36 to 38. Luke chapter 36 to 38. Then one Pharisee asked him to eat with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, oh, it's, yeah, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet, anointed them with fragrant oil. We know the story. Immediately Simon says, what kind of a prophet is this? Thinking, if he knew what kind of a woman is this and all that sort. Listen to Jesus' response. He turned to the woman and said to Simon. He turned to the woman and said to Simon. It's interesting. God doesn't do this. We will say in psychology, make eye contact when you are talking and all. God doesn't do stuff like that. Did you see? He looks at the woman. And talks to Simon. What is he saying? He's saying, I came to your house. But she was the host, not you. She was hospitable, not you. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has washed my feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. This woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with this fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, not to her. I'm not saying to her. I'm saying to you. You judge her in her heart, right? Sinner. I'm telling to you, not to her. She's forgiven. I'm telling you how many sins are forgiven. Did you see? Jesus invited to a house 
But the one who is actually hospitable over there is somebody else. And look at what happens. Because a lady was hospitable to him. Jesus said, you know what? All your sins forgiven. Wiped out. You see, the difference is Simon entertained Jesus. The poor woman was hospitable. Let me read to you. That was meant for the end. Hospitality and entertaining are two different things. Entertaining says, I want to impress you with my home, my decorations, and my cooking. Hospitality seeks to minister. My home is a gift from God. My resources are a gift from God. My talents are a gift from God. I use it as He desires. Entertaining looks for a reward. Wow, look at our house. Wow, look at our cooking. Wow, look at our talents. Hospitality just takes pleasure in giving and in serving. So when God is talking about being hospitable, He is not talking about entertaining. We entertain once in a while. God says, you know, hospitality is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And sometimes we confuse entertaining with hospitality. God says, no, that is not. That is not. That is not. So, like, like, that's what I said. Do we realize how much we have to learn? One word. Be hospitable. A leader, elder should be hospitable. If we take that hospitable, we will realize, oh my gosh, where do I end? Where do I begin? Right? When I say, Pastor Vijay gave you nine qualities of being a bride of Jesus Christ. Turn to Genesis 24, verses 23 to 25. Eliezer said, Whose daughter are you, tell me? Please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milka's son, whom she bore to Nahor. 25. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. She doesn't even go home and ask. Because sometimes you don't have to ask. Because you know your family. Children know that. Children know that. Whether they can bring their friends home or not. I don't have to ask. Mommy will never say there's no food. Children know it very well. Because it's, it's, it's the nature of that house. Nature of that house. It's a hospitable house. Okay. Some of the faith of Abraham has permeated into this house too. Its house is hospitable. You see, one of the tests that was put for Rebecca, the bride of Isaac, picture of the church is that, will you be hospitable? Will you be hospitable? And she was. She said, all of you can come. And they entertained them. The fact that she becomes a bride and all is secondary. That only happens later. She doesn't know who it is. Right? Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. The Lord appeared to him by the terebin tree at Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Don't immediately jump and say, he looked one look and he knew it was the Lord. He did not know. It is all revelation coming later. He sees, see, he lifted his eyes, looked, behold, there were three men standing by him and he saw them. He ran from the tent door to meet them. He bowed himself to the ground and he said, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by. Please let your little water be brought. Wash your feet. Rest yourself under the tree. I will bring a morsel of bread. You may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by 
Inasmuch as you have come to your servants, they said, do as we have said. Do you know Abraham's hospital? What he says is just have a morsel of bread. But that's not what happens. He kills a calf, kills Sarah, knead the dough, make, and they eat very nicely. And that's what the Hebrew writer is talking about. They entertained angels. He was a hospitable man. Okay, hospital. To the righteous, he will say, you, to the righteous. Meaning, righteous people have inculcated the nature of God. You fed. You took care of these people. To the righteous. How did they become righteous? By faith. But they didn't stop there. And then faith kept on adding these virtues. Go to chapter 19. Right? We talk about 19. And it's judgment time. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. He bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house. Spend the night, wash your feet, that you may rise early and go your way. They said, no, but we'll spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him, entered his house. He made them a feast. Baked unleavened bread and they ate. You know what happened? He knows Sodom and Gomorrah. He sees two strangers coming. He knows this is a dangerous city. The first instant he got up and says, come to my house. You are safe there. Will you entertain strangers? Because you know the city is dangerous. First thing he does is get up and says, come to my house. Come." They say, no, we'll sleep in the open. He insisted very strongly because he knows it's the most dangerous things. He doesn't know who they are. He doesn't know what they have come for. But that's not the point. He looks and says, two lives are at stake here. They've come in the evening. They cannot sleep in the evening. They will be raped. They may be even murdered. This is not a safe place. He gets up and says, come to my house. Don't discount Lot. That is why Peter will call him through the Holy Spirit. He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. Okay, so you will see whether you take Abraham, whether you take Lot, whether you take Isaac, whether you take Rebecca, you take something was inbuilt into them, a character of God. What is that? They were hospitable people. And that's what Paul is, Peter is also talking about over there. Be fervent in your love for one another, right? Be fervent in your love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Why? Let us be very honest. The church is full of strangers. The fact is that now we know each other. The church is always full of strangers. Tomorrow there will be a lot of strangers. Don't go jump and stand first in the line to eat. Let them eat first. Okay? A lot of strangers, a lot of Many of the people who come, if they come, will be strangers to you. Don't jump always to the front of the line. No, feed the strangers first. And church will be full of strangers. And if you were open your eyes, you will always see a stranger who needs hospitality, who needs help. And God says, are you open? Are you open? Hmm? Let me give you a... Story, it's there. You can check it out on Google. You can check it out. In Canada called Newfoundland, the eastern coast, there's a small city called Gander. I guess uh, maybe the who are named it found geese over there. <laughs> Male geese is Gander. So maybe there were a lot of geese and he named it Gander. We do not know. Okay? Gander. Its name is Gander. Population 6,500. You know how western cities are. 6,500. And then 9-11 took place. You know, 9-11 took place. You know what happened? We do not know the other things because these are, we, we don't 
we are not interested or we do not have access. What happened is flights from all over USS were diverted because it was thinking that terrorists would be in different places, hijacking planes. Suddenly in Gander, this small town with 6,000, sorry, 9,500 population, 52 planes had to be redirected to that small airport. 52. And they were set as soon as clearance would come, you will be allowed to take off. Clearance came two days later. 6,800 people in 52 planes, meaning in a single moment, the population of the city doubled. You know what happened with the people? All the schools, all the meeting halls, all the hotels, maybe one or two, all the churches, everything became a lodging area. And they were very careful how they worked it. Families were kept together. Elderly people were kept in homes and not in the schools. And all high school students were given an assignment, compulsory uh, assignment. Till these people go from here, you are assigned to be their guides. For the next two days, people were taken on for, for picnics to the lake, to the forest, whatever they want to do. One lady who was pregnant was given a room with a family right opposite the emergency care unit. Everything was worked out. Bakeries did not close. They were baking fresh bread for the next two days. Everything was taken care of. And the people really had the most wonderful two days. You have to see on YouTube, they're, they're crying. And they're talking about how hospitable that little town was. They just stopped everything and took care of. There is a national emergency in another part of the world. And their people have landed in our town. You know what? You're going to take care of them. And they took care of them until clearance came in. There was not a stranger out on the street. Everybody was homed. And that little town took care of them. And they cooked they fed them, they entertained them, they took them all around. And two days later, when they left, people were crying. You know what happened? In the plains, when they were sitting, the plains, we have only tidbits of the stories. The passengers said, you know what, we will take an offering for this town, for their children, for their high school fees and all. One plane passengers alone collected $40,000. To fund the scholarship for the high school students of this city. You know, this is the culture of the West. Because it's a Christian culture. It's a Christian culture. They have lost Christ, but they haven't lost much of his culture. And now it's losing very fast. That is why the West was prosperous. The West was not prosperous because of white race, critical race theory and all. It is simply because they took the gospel. The gospel was given to every race. Let us be honest about it. God was not uh, impartial. He gave it to the white man. He gave it to the black man. He gave it to this brown man, Kerala first, 59 AD. Brown man, China, everywhere the apostles met. Everywhere it went. Okay? But if you look at it, it's a white man who received it. Gospel was the same. The white man received it with all his heart. And he changed. He changed. And God changed those nations. Now they are reverting back to their old ways. Becoming Gentiles. Pagans like they were before. Okay? And so that's what we need to look at. So as we come to the close, Acts chapter 2, 44-47. 
Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Question is, why do you have to sell? Why do you have to sell? Verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Okay, you see, ancient people were not like us. Okay, we used to have this little Christian family opposite over this. For them, whenever one construction comes, they take their little shanty and they move. They have, they don't, they don't, they don't need a truck or anything. Okay, one push cart, their whole belongings go. They will move to the next open plot. They will work there for one year, then they will move. Ancient world was like that. That is why God says, if you have two coats, give one, because to have two coats was a luxury. If you had two coats, you were a rich man. You were a rich man, okay? So, when the gospel came into Jerusalem, and on that day, 3,000 were saved, these were Jews from all over the world who had come over there. Many of them did not want to go back. Because you received the gospel. There's no church anywhere. <laughs> See, when we send our children, when they are going, the first thing we tell them is, church. find a church. Or we look Google and say, this is a church, go over there, stay in the church. If anybody goes to Bangalore, I will say, go to Zach Boon and church. There are many churches over there. I don't know these churches. They need to be big and all this thing. But one thing I know, Zach Boon and church is safe. Doctrine-wise, you don't have to worry. He will never take you into error. Okay, if you stay there, you are safe. So we always recommend, go here, go here, go here, go here. But in the ancient world, there is no church. No church. There's only one church. Jerusalem. It just started. Only one set of teachers. It's in Jerusalem. There's nobody anywhere else. You know what? People decided to stay back. And when they decided to stay back, the church opened up their homes. The believers who were born again in Jerusalem opened up their homes and said, until you find something, you can stay with us. We'll help you through this process. Okay, help you. That's how the church started. The church started by being very, very hospitable. Very, very hospitable. Verse, chapter 4, verses 33 to 35. The multitude of those who believed are of one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord. And great grace was upon them all. You know what? Nor was there yet, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. You know what? That spirit of God permeated the church. The spirit of hospitality. That's the spirit. That's a part of the spirit of God. Okay. So finally, as we come to the close, Ephesians chapter 2, 12 and 13. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once, were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know what we were? We were all strangers. Strangers to God. Strangers to God's kingdom. You know what he did? He opened up his heart and he opened up his home. For us, the most hospitable person on planet earth is God. He just opened up his heart. He opened up his home for us. We came into his kingdom. You know what he's doing? Even now he's preparing a place for us. He's preparing a place for us. 
That is why God says we have to learn these things. Now, of course, we are not living in the ancient world. World has changed. Things have all changed. Cities have all kind of facilities. Government does a whole lot of things. But that's not the point. The point is that do we have that spirit? Do we have a spirit? Are we just takers or are we givers? For God is a giver. It is the spirit of generosity and thoughtfulness towards others. Because now hospitality is a multi-billion industry. Multi-billion industry. Yesterday, Syria and I were sitting and watching uh, the world's largest cruise ship, I think, Queen Elizabeth too. It's, it's sailing from UK to New York. We were looking at the, the one entire floor is for, for catering. It's a hospitality industry and there's a guy, I think De Silva or somebody was telling how the logistics goes. 60,000 meals per day. People eat up to eight times a day. This is not the hospitality we are talking about. <laughs> that is, that is why it's an industry. That's an industry. Okay. Eight floors, every floor has a different, different, different restaurants. You can have a second breakfast, first level, second level, second You can just go eat and eat and eat. It's an industry. Hospitality is an industry if you pay. If you pay. The Bible is not talking about that. We have hospitals, we have hospitality industry. The Bible is not talking about that. The church is both. It's a hospital where the sick are healed. And those strangers are taken care of. Are taken care of, you know, and everyone. That's what I said. We don't look at in parts. We have to become a whole. Whole. This is who God is. You don't have to do beyond your means. Everybody has within your means. You can. But the thing is that when you step out and do within your means, you will suddenly realize God will stretch it out. God will stretch it out. God will say, he's still the same. He has never changed. It's a miracle. You see, the, the disciples are sitting and, okay, send these people away. Send these people. We are in the wilderness. There is no food before they faint. Send them away. God says, let's give them something. Let's give them something. They said, no, six months wages won't be enough. Another disciple says, five loaves of bread. Can you just give it to me? Can you just give it to me? Now think about it. Now we cannot multiply bread unless God does it. That's not the point. The question is, Lord, you may not be able to feed 5,000. The question is, can you feed one? Can you feed one? It's the only question. Can you feed one? That's all God, God is asking. Can you feed one? Can you, can you somewhere you look around, you see a need, can you take care of it? Simple. Can you take care of it? Honestly, do we all have to eat three meals a day? What will happen if we eat only two? Hmm. Will we die? <laughs> That's one of the things which I always liked about Kerala was that when we went to school and college, our tiffin was wrapped in banana leaves. Meaning, on the way you want to give your food to somebody, you could just give the packet to beggar and go to your college. Dabba, your mother or your house will ask, where is the dabba? But this was very easy. Wrap in a newspaper, take it, and suddenly you see a sick person hungry. You take it. You take it. You eat it. He's happy. Okay. 
Now think about it. Think, think about it practically. And if your children does that when they come home, don't scold them. Did you eat your lunch today? No. Again, you have not eaten? No, I just gave it to somebody who did not have. They were just being hospitable. No, thank you, honey. Really appreciate that. They give. When they give, when the children are giving, don't stop them. Don't stop them. Okay, teach them. Teach them to be giver because that's who our God is. Like I said, tomorrow we have strangers coming in. Don't stand first in the line to eat. Every pastor's conference, half of them, and let me tell you, they come to eat and they are poor. They are poor. They come to eat and we still feed them. I get mad with them, not because they eat, but because they sleep without listening. But we will never. How many pastors in these years have come to me and said, you should stop feeding them? I said, no, you don't know what God told me 10 years ago, 11 years ago. He said, them, feed them. Because he said, I will send you the poor pastors. And for many of them, that would be the best meal of their month. And it is true. True. Okay, they're poor. Okay, they're poor. And we fed them. First lockdown, we fed people. Hundred. One time we fed an entire train of strangers going back to North India. We fed them, all of them. Second lockdown, this before, we are feeding them. Even till that week, we are feeding the ones outside Gandhi Hospital. We are feeding them. Now we may think we are a small, so it does not matter. If you are willing, God will help us. No, nobody has to know about it. But the fact is that the church has to do it. Are these people we know? No, they are all strangers. Will we ever meet them in our life? Probably never. It still does not matter. It does not matter why. Because I was a stranger and God loved me. You were a stranger. Don't tell you were born from your mother's womb as a child of God. No, you were a stranger. And he opened his heart for us. And he opened his home for us. And he gives us every day. No? So get these pictures into our mind and slowly change. If you look around, you'll always see a need. Maybe a very small need. Small need. Children, when your schools actually open and when you go back to your school, look around. Look around. There will be poor friends of yours in your class. You know? For friends in a class. Either they don't bring their tiffin because they don't have, or their tiffin would be very, and I knew friends of mine, her tiffin was very, very simple. Because they couldn't, their parents could not afford to bring all the different items which would be there in you. So you know what? You sit together and you share. You know? You, you, it doesn't have to multiply. That is, everybody is all looking at the miracle of multiplication. No, it's a miracle of sharing. You, your mother kept two pieces of fish for you. Give one. You you eat one. That could be the only piece that boy or that girl might be eating that month because their parent may not be able to afford. Okay. Think. You always think about these things, you know what? And your children will grow up different. You know? And they will be always generous. And you know what? God will never ever forsake them. Never ever forsake them. But that's how I grew up. My parents were not born again believers, but they had the Christian ethos. I wake up in my bed, there would be half a dozen kids sleeping on my bed. Not my brothers and sisters. All children of poor villagers. Because my father had invested in education, picked them from the village and keep them in his house. My mother used to cook and feed them. Cook and feed them. Okay. 
That's how they were. When I go many, many years ago, they had to teach in this country. Cars breaking on the road, stopping. They're coming and looking at me because I look exactly like my father. They said, are you Mr. James's son? I said, yes. He said, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Because of your father, I am what I am today. I was a poor villager's child over there. Your father picked me up because my father took me from the school saying, I need somebody to work in the field. Your father walked and brought me. You kept me in my own house. Today I am. And then I go for the interview. He is the um, inspector of education. Okay. So many of them like that. No, They were like that. They opened up their homes and they fed them. Let me tell you, when I was in class three or four, Four of the kids with whom, because my parents were so kind-hearted that they gave the bedroom to me and they slept in the front room. The bedroom was mine. Because why? I had to accommodate all these others. So one end to the other end, beds were put. And four of the kids with whom I shared my bed when I was three or four years, you tell me, you know who they were? They were the children of quarry workers. You know? Making the roads. They were us. They lived in the same house. They ate with me. Showered in the same bathroom. Went to the same school. They never made any distinction. That's what I'm saying. We have, we have become a generation of born again believers, but we have forgotten our culture as Christians. They were not born again, but they knew the culture. Knew the culture. Okay. We are born again, but we have forgotten the culture. We need to bring these both together and become a whole and say, you know what? We will be that. We will be that. So we grew up like that. So nobody had any issues growing up. We grew up like that. And that's how parents were. They were always giving. They always opened up their homes. It's not that they had much. They hardly had, (laughs) you know. But houses always open. Always open. People could come, eat and go. Children could come and stay. And they were not rich people. They are not people who could give you anything. They were not. Actually, they could give nothing. And their parents came from the village. They brought some eggs. They brought some rice and all village people. That's all. But it was done. You know? And we need to understand. This is what. Because difficult days are ahead. Tough days are ahead. God may disperse people to different towns and different cities. And you all can be the door of hope and say. And so people look at you and you can. They will say, you know, maybe God is like them. God is like them. Because that's what God is like. And that's why Moses was judged. God says, Moses, you walked with me. I spoke to you face to face. I gave you the law. But you misrepresented me to a rebellious, ungrateful people. I am still not that God. I am still not that God. I was angry and mad at them that you have to beat the rock. He says, no. I said, speak to the rock. It will still give you what? Say, rebellious, so what? I mean, let me say, all of us are such 100% obedient children of God. Did he take care of us today? Did he beat us up? No, he still fed us. He took care of us. And so keep that picture, that picture in our minds and say, Lord, change me, Lord, change me. That spirit of being a hospitable person. You, know, you look at the child sitting over there. There's a child sitting over there in yellow. Is she treated any different from any other child? I think she has more clothes than most of you. They scold my wife sometimes. They don't give her too much. You're spoiling her. She's got everything any normal child would have in any normal home. She's got a bedroom of her own. 
She's going to be with us forever? No, she will go. She going to give us anything back? Nothing. We don't treat them different. We don't treat them different. Yeah, the morning I made breakfast, I made breakfast for my wife and for her. <laughs> they both eat the same breakfast. Only she makes demands and said, only once a week I'll give you what you like. Now you're small, you eat what I like. Not what I like, what is good for you. Once or twice a week I make something which is different, which she likes. She wants chili in everything. It's all the same. It doesn't make any difference. We need to understand these things because these things matter not now. These things matter then. Then. Little children onwards, you can practice it. Two adults can practice it. One person can touch one life. Ten people can touch ten lives. Hundred people can touch hundred lives. And it doesn't mean all these people need to come to our church. They don't need to come to our church. They would think this is Latin and Greek we preach over there. They don't have to. Let them go to other churches. It's fine. But we touch lives. We don't have to be a big church to make an impact. We just have to be a church which impacts. And I'm telling you, if you look at our size, our actual size and actual resources, we are probably one of the most impactful churches in this city. If you look at our size. We are not 50,000. We are just 100. And half of them orphans, single parents. How many students? How many work? Five or six? <laughs> the impact we have is big. And that's all we have to do. Trust God. And we want everyone to be that. Everyone to be that. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We don't want to be anything different than what you are, O Lord. All we praise every day, Lord, changes, changes, changes. The head is in heaven, but the body is on earth. The feet and the hands of Jesus are still on earth. The feet that walks through the towns and the cities goes to places where no man has reached. The hands that still still feed, bless, heal, are still on earth. And all of us are called to be part of your feet and your hands, O Lord. Yes, we preach. Yes, we fight powers of darkness. Yet, Father, we will never forget to love and to care for the strangers. So many around who need help. Help us to become a blessing. For you said, for it is more blessed to give than to receive. That that spirit of being a hospitable person, Lord. That we won't grudge in our giving. Grudge in our giving. That we would be givers all our life. As you will be all of eternity. For there is no shortage in heaven. You have come full of grace, full of truth. And out of your fullness of grace, we have received great blessing after blessing. And out of the fullness of grace in us, Help us to be a blessing to many lives, Lord. And I pray for that for all of our churches, everywhere, every pastor, and every church of ours around the world will be known as hospitable places, a place where strangers would be welcome. Thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. We commit the rest of the day into thy hands. Be with us, O Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen.